Welcome to the Hail to the District podcast with your host, Rajan Nanavati. All right, so we're pleased to be joined by Washington football Twitter, or Washington football team Twitter, I should say, a legend or aficionado or honcho or whatever phrase you want to use, um, whom many of you know for his work in publications, including the Washington Post and The Athletic. And most recently, he's been cranking out a bunch of player profiles and analyses on his Substack site, which we're going to talk about very shortly. But um, with all of that said, and without any further ado, Mark Bullock, thank you very much for joining. Thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me on. Um, so, Mark, we're going to start with this. Uh, we were talking about it right before we jumped on the air um, officially that this is the offseason. Uh, it's time for NFL teams, including our beloved WFT, to kind of upgrade themselves in a variety of ways, be it through free agency, the draft and trades and whatever, all the methodologies I'm not thinking of. Um, but we were going to put you a little bit on the spot, if you will. And we know the list. We know the number one position on the list that will be there. But outside of the quarterback, spot what would you say are the positions if you were the general manager of the washington football team if they didn't hire martin mayhew and Hardy and they hired you instead what are those positions that they you would go after first or who you think the aforementioned guys will go after first kind of in either order whichever way you want to take it sure so um i think a lot of it depend it, it depends on who is available at certain positions um because you could say a second wide receiver is the top need or a left tackle is the top need. But if you're not in the running for Trent Williams, like then there's no real point in targeting one of those left tackles if you don't value those left tackles. So um, the, 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 I would probably say left tackle um, is, the, is the top need. And, and that's not to say Cornelius Lucas is bad or, you know, Sadiq Charles, um, I quite liked coming out of college, but um, for me now I want to see him, stay healthy before I'm, I'm fully counting on him as my long-term left tackle. Um, so I, I, I just feel like they found something in that interior offensive line trio um, with Schweitzer, Rudy and Sheriff. And this is assuming Sheriff comes back. Um, and, and Moses was solid on the, on the right side. Um, so I think if they could find a, a real good left tackle to complete that group, then they'd have a very strong offensive line that could, protect and give any quarterback whoever it is back there time to find the open receiver so that that's kind of where I'm thinking but the, the with football there's always ways to get around certain weaknesses and you know the offensive line has strengths um, uh, among the other four spots so you could help the left tackle with a tight end chipping or a running back chipping and that kind of thing so um, my second priority would probably be uh, another weapon um, of some sort and and i've written about it slightly that i i feel like you can either go with a, a top receiving tight end and that would suit what scott turner likes to do with his matchups um where he can go into um two tight end sets and have them split out wide and, and go to empty and and create mismatches with mclaurin in the slot against linebackers um so that's that's something you could either go down the tight end route and, and get a second, a top second tight end to pair with Logan Thomas, or you could go down the more traditional route of getting a, a top wide receiver and, and pairing with Terry McLaurin outside. And, and, um, and then you have some good threats on the, on the edge as well as with Thomas inside. Um, so uh, I think those would be my two priorities. Um, defensively, I, I, I feel like, you've got more guys there that can 
step up and and develop and take on bigger roles like Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Um, we can still see more from that defensive line. Cole Holcomb can develop and Cam Curl still has development to go and Kendall Fuller can take a more leadership role and and that can make up for some of the weaknesses that they they do have on defense um so for me the priority would be rebuilding that offense and and obviously without the quarterback you have to kind of set the table for it so uh, I'd be looking left tackle and a weapon of some sort it's quite the table that needs to be set Um, (laughs) yeah it is Mark you you mentioned Trent um you know and Redskins Washington football team Twitter will have all kinds of opinions when it comes to Trent. Sure. Um, um, I'm going to rule him out, right? I just think that ship sailed. I know he has no problem with Dan, uh, with the new regime. I just think any of the ship is sailed between that. I also don't think Ron's going to pony up that kind of money to get an aging left tackle. Sure. Um, so assuming that sounds like draft probably is the way to go with left tackle and we're sitting at 19. So that seems like a semi decent area to, to get a left tackle. And we've been, linked to a few i think we've been linked to you know just recently we've been like linked to darisaw uh rajan actually went to virginia tech so that's kind of his boy um <laughs> we've been linked to vera tucker from usc right so that that kind of fits the left tackle spot but i'm curious mostly about wide receivers because this has been something i've been harping on since we started this podcast you know like after the deshaun and pierre world sure um you you did a breakdown of uh Curtis Samuel yep. um, obvious ties to uh, to Ron in the past and obviously who is it Herney not given a long-term extension in Carolina uh, now a free agent that is we'll say priority 1b right behind left tackle for you yep. who do you think we should go after from a free agent perspective because if I remember reading your Samuels you weren't as wild about him in our scheme as some seem to think yeah, with Samuel, it's not that I don't like Samuel. He's a he's a really good player, and oh, he's an and, ultimate weapon. But within our offense, yeah, within the system, um, I think he could still play within the system. I, I think when I, when I watched Scott Turner's offense last year in Carolina, um, Samuel he used Samuel as the Z, which is the outside receiver, and um, Samuel had some issues as a pure receiver, um, which the Z receiver role is a little bit more of. Um, and obviously they, they use things like the jet sweeps and the end arounds and moving him into the backfield and letting him take carries and that kind of thing. They, they used his skill set, but when it came to just lining up and having him run routes and, um, specifically the, the Z spot, um, they, they need to be able to get open deep and, and stretch the field vertically. Um, he obviously has the speed, but the route running isn't quite there, although it did improve this last year. Um, the ball tracking is the question I have, the biggest question I have with him. He doesn't track the ball down the field particularly well. Um, and that's something that is an underrated aspect of, um, when you hear people talk about ball skills, it's not just physically catching the ball. It's being able to locate the ball in the air and track the trajectory of it and, and adjust your path as a receiver um, rather than just, you know, I know I'm meant to cut inside at 45 degrees on the post route, but the quarterback's thrown it at a 35 degree angle. So I need to adjust my path to get to that. So there are subtle adjustments that are not as easy as they sound. And that's what Deshaun Jackson was so good at was, he was about to say Deshaun Jackson was so good at that. In air ball adjustment was, he's as good as anyone, literally as good as anyone. Insane. Yeah. he, He was so good at that. And then that's what, um, 
they haven't had since then. Um, and, uh, and that's something I don't think Samuel has. Um, and that's not to say Samuel couldn't be a very good player here. I, I think if th- they could absolutely still see him as someone they really like and they could put him in the slot. Um, that's more of what he did this year. Um, in Carolina, he, play, he played in the slot and that allowed him to do more of the, um, for lack of a better term, gadgety type stuff with the end arounds and jet sweeps and um, motions into the backfield and taking carries and that kind of thing. Um, and still run routes from the slot where he can use his quickness to win um, and he can go either way um, rather than needing pure route running skills and, and deep ball tracking stuff. So they could do that and they could put him in the slot. But f- for me, I just didn't see the value of that because they already have, I know people uh, kind of shake their head at Stephen Sims after this season, but Stephen Sims this time last year, everyone thought he was, he was the, <laughs> everyone thought this time last year, he was the answer. So um, I still think he has plenty of talent. Obviously the drops have, have got to improve and he shouldn't be on punt return duty anymore. Um, but from a, a receiver's standpoint, he's still very talented. He got better as a route runner. He's very, very elusive with the ball in his hands. Um, and so I feel like he could do a lot of the things that you would want Samuels to do in the slot. But they also have Gibson. They also have McKissick. There's those three guys um, all do that same kind of thing where they can be the gadgety type of thing where they they motion and move around and, and they can line up in the backfield or in the slot or outside and run the jet sweeps and the end and the reverses and, and all of that stuff um, that Samuel would do. And, and my conclusion in that post was that Samuel is projected to cost something like 15 million a year. That's next year. Yeah. Next year they've got Sims, Gibson and McKissick for, I think something like 4 million. So do you really want to pay, that much more for a guy that you've got three players that can play, fill his role? I'm not sure. Maybe they do. Maybe they love him and he's a damn good player and, and he could fit like that. But I just don't necessarily think it's the wisest spend. So I would prefer someone that's more of a, a Z receiver that can play outside and stretch the field vertically and um, and take some pressure off McClure and force safeties to respect the other side of the field and not just shade McClure inside the whole time. I'm going to go to another part of the receiving um, spectrum, if you will. Mention a little bit about tight end being another like chess piece that Scott Turner uses really well in his in his offense. And I mean, even as a Virginia Tech guy, I try to be very measured in my fanaticism of my uh, alma mater. But I would have I would have never guessed. Like I, I love Logan Thomas as a quarterback when he was there, but I recognize he was just a big boy with the howitzer of an arm. I would have never guessed in, in a million years he would have put up the numbers that he did in Washington in where he would rank among tight ends last year. Granted, it was a really down year because of injuries and just general level of play at the position across the league. Sure. But um, to your point, kind of breaking down the team as you saw them last year, however much you've been able to do, do you legitimately see Thomas as kind of a quote-unquote TE1, or do you think we need one? Because I know you also broke down Hunter Henry. Um, he's an interesting guy, super talented, bugged by injuries a little bit of the first two or three, like second or third season, he had the ACL, among other things. Yeah. Um, I know that it doesn't matter, like in a Turner scheme and just the way the NFL is today, like it, there's no such thing perhaps as TE1, TE2 anymore, like you can have two really good ones on the field. But sure. curious to get like if in your perspective, is that something that if we strike out, considering so many teams are going after wide receivers, um, is that an area you think they could put a lot of a lot of eggs into? 
Yeah, for sure. Um, and um, as I was saying earlier, you could, you don't have to go, you know, you don't have to go to 20 million for Alan Robinson. If, if Hunter Henry is 10 to 12 million, like that's better value. Um, and that, provides another weapon in the offense. You're breaking, you're breaking my heart. I was going right to say, but Alan Robinson <laughs> is so much more fun to talk about. Alan Robinson is great, and don't get me wrong, I love course, Alan Robinson. Course, um, but the just the value for what you can get, and uh, uh, it might be better getting a Hunter Henry for, for that much less. Um, uh, for With regards to Logan Thomas, um, I don't see him as a, as a tight end one. Um, I see him as a very good tight end too, and and that is far more than I anticipated him being. Like this time last year when they signed him, I I, I kind of overlooked him. I I watched him obviously, but I didn't really think much about him. I didn't see a great route runner. I didn't see a particularly good blocker. Um, I just saw kind of a decent athlete um, playing the position, and clearly the uh, Washington football team scouts and coaches saw a lot more potential than I did, and good thing they're in charge rather than me and they signed him and got him cheap and, and he had a fantastic year. Um, I, I think the issues I have with him is he doesn't separate from man coverage. Um, yeah. And, and for me, that's what puts a, uh, uh, that's what separates a, a good tight end from a great tight end and a tight end one kind of prospect. Um, and that's something Hunter Henry does. And you, you either need to have the quick twitch athleticism to, to just beat guys for speed um, or you need to have the route running skills to set up a route and understand the leverage of the defender and manipulate the leverage of the defender and, and break open. Um, and Hunter Henry does both of those things. Um, Logan Thomas doesn't really do either. Um, where, where Thomas is very good is um, running the underneath stuff, the working after the catch, um, finding holes in zone coverage. He's very good at that. Um, he's a reliable pair of hands, and he's a he's a very good option to have in the um, on the field. Um, I just don't think he's that uh, top guy that that I, I think he'd be a superb number two tight end. And he's a son, kind of you can manage with with him as a as a number one if you have more weapons outside. But he's someone that personally I'd probably prefer as the number two. So back to Rajan's original question. I'm guessing you'd draft a left tackle to fill your top need and then you'd pay, let's say, Henry $12 million over, say, like a receiver. If you're in charge, you're the GM. Remember, that was the question. Yeah, um, sure. Uh, the receiver classes have been pretty good the last few years and supposedly this one's a good one. I haven't really got onto too much of the draft stuff yet. Um, but from what I've heard, there, there's some good receivers in this one. Um, and I, th- I think with the money they have in theory, there's no reason they couldn't get a, a tight end and a receiver. Um, I, I would imagine they, they would prioritize one over the other and they might have, maybe they do see Alan Robinson go, we love him. We want him um, for Alan Robinson specifically. Uh, I, I wrote about him as well. And I felt like the only issue I have with Robinson is that he's an ex and receiver. And so is Terry McLaurin. Um, yeah. I, I mean, they're both good enough to make it work. Like, Robinson played plenty in the slot last year. Terry McLaurin can do the same. McLaurin could move over to the Z if they want to. Um, so they could certainly, they're both good enough to work around it, but they're both the kind of X receiver. Um, and so that, that, that kind of puts a little bit of a, 
a doubt into whether they'd target him um, and whether they'd go for someone else that is more of a burner to go opposite McLaurin. But um, I, I think they could certainly target both. Um, I, I I haven't seen Jono Smith is the other one that I want to watch. Um, but the Titans. Hunter Henry, yeah, but Hunter Henry, Hunter, sorry, Hunter Henry is the. I loved him last year when he was a free agent. Then he got franchise tagged, and um, I, I still really like his game um, and, and think he, he'd make, make an excellent addition. So he'd probably be my top target. But if you can't get him, I would just as happily switch to a receiver target. If it's Allen Robinson, it's Allen Robinson. If it's a Will Fuller, if you're okay with the injuries, um, I, I was very, Will very Fuller's impressed. Not mine. I'm, I, if we're going to go, because I, I agree with your premise about the speed guy, I don't want any part of Wolf, Will Fuller. One, I hate Notre Dame. Like I just outright despise him. <laughs> and then two, um, I, I think – Obviously, my, my, I'm prejudiced against it from the start, but I also think he's just like, history has proven he is, quote-unquote, made of glass, as the metaphor goes, right? Sure, there, there is certainly the doubt over the injury. Um, the, the, oh, the player the prof- when healthy. Yeah, the, when, when healthy, the profile is exactly what they would, I would be targeting um, opposite McLaurin. Um, so that that's the kind of role, of, the style of player I'd be looking for, whether it's Fuller or whether you find another guy that could become that kind of player. Um, but I, I, that's the route I'd be going in. It certainly, Hunter Henry would probably be my top, top target, um, certainly offensively. And then if you strike out there, look back at the receiver class. So I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the guys throwing the balls to the receiver because that's what literally everyone is talking about all the time <laughs> um, with, in, in Washington football fandom. Um, there's, it's, it's like the Hydra, right? Like you could go in so many different directions as far as like what they could or should or will or won't do. Um, so we know the situation. I think it's exacerbated a little bit based off of, um, the Alex Smith comments in GQ magazine that kind of went viral for lack of a better term, uh, yesterday and today. Um, we have our thoughts. I think probably most of us are on the same wavelength, but just your general reaction when you read the snippets and if you happen to read the entire GQ article about what he said and how, you know what allegedly the coaching staff, and I don't want to call it the organization, but mostly the coaching staff um, did or did not feel about him entering this season and then now where we are today. Yeah, I, I was maybe a little bit surprised by the reaction to it. I, I, I didn't see it as kind of as aggressive as a shot to the organization as a lot of people did uh, I, I kind of just I don't see Smith being that kind of guy he's never taken any kind of shots at organizations or people before um, and for me I, I just felt it was him being honest like he he mentioned like it's a new coaching staff it's a new regime it's like a whole everyone was out of that building last year um, and so it was a whole new team other than Dan Schneider at the top like everyone else was new so um, the guys in they all they they know is that he's got this horrific injury. He's a 36 year old quarterback. We don't know if he's going to be healthy again, uh, and he's costing us a ton of money on our cap. Like, yeah, they don't want him back. They it would be a lot easier for them if he retired and they got the money off of the cap. You know, um, so that I I, I think yeah. he understood that. He he kind of mentioned that. So like. I didn't see it as massively like a a shot against the team or whatever. I I understand some people have interpreted that way and, and maybe I'm being slightly naive on that. I don't know, but I I didn't see it. Mark, I, I agree with you. I, he also didn't say anything in my opinion that like was any sort of new news. Um, 
to your point, like all this was pretty well known. Um, even if you go back and listen to Ron at the beginning of the year, he's like, yeah, I have no idea what's going to happen with Alex, you know, yeah. because to your point, he, <laughs> he's one leg. Yeah. Um, I think it was Greg uh, Paulson or somebody like re- recirculated a quote from earlier in the season. I think it was last night or today about, and it echoes very much with Pat, what you're saying. Like it's uh, like, the interesting season is the entirely great unknown. Like, can he physically play football if he does? And he tries to get back on the field with a leg snap in half, God forbid. Like, I thought it was a bit of a mark. I'm curious your thoughts. I thought it was a little bit of a PR move one because it's GQ. So that's why, like, to me, I was like, it's not that big a deal. If it was a big deal, you know, Schefter would have it right. Or Josie Anderson. You know, in, yeah. Yeah. Somebody. So the GQ part to me was like, okay, I think people are just looking for something to talk about right now. But I also wonder if, you know, Ron, I mean, Ron's very direct from everything I've read and seen. And, and I think we all can agree that like he has a very clear vision of what he wants within that locker room. And he obviously has a lot of love for Kyle Allen. Scott obviously has a lot, a lot of love for Heineke. I wonder if the conversation was pretty frank and this was kind of Alex Smith's way of saying, Hey, other teams, I'm going to be available. Um, Maybe that's me reading into it and being a little naive. I don't know. That's kind of how I read it. It was a little bit of an opening <laughs> opening statement for him saying, I'm going to be a free agent pretty soon. PR move. Possibly. Uh, I, I didn't see it as that either myself, but I, I, I understand where you're coming from. I, 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 my counter to that, I guess, would be that I think it's pretty obvious he wasn't going to be on the team the way that Washington are going pretty heavy after every quarterback is available. Um, and uh, the like it doesn't take a genius to figure out that he's got a huge cap hit. He struggled when he was on the field. I, I thought he played better than a lot of people gave him credit for, but um, he certainly struggled to move um, and he's obviously not the future. Um, so like, and then the cap hit like goes down if they cut him. So they, I, I think it's pretty obvious to everyone around the league that Alex Smith is going to be available. Um, I, I think he probably, the more thing I took out of it was more just that he was saying he wants to play. And I, and again, he said that other in other places. He's saying uh, that all year. Yeah. So I, 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 I think that was more just a confirmation of, yeah, he wants to play. Um, and, you know, I, I think, I guess he was just telling the story I, I of the, of the whole situation last year. I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't read into it as anything particularly malicious or, um, yeah, neither anything bad, really. Um, I, I just think uh, he was just telling his side of the story and, and it was kind of like just another thing he overcame, I guess. Um, but like, I, I guess it, it goes to show like even the team didn't think that he was going to overcome it. And I, I think the team probably would come in and say, yeah, we, we didn't think he was going to overcome it. Who the hell like anybody did? did, right? Like yeah. imagine how we all felt when Aaron Donald got on his back. Like, yeah. Oh, terrifying. Right. <laughs> exactly. No, exactly. So. No team in the NFL needs more bad press <laughs> than the Washington football team. <laughs> yeah, and I think that was a point. I, I think JP Finley said it last night. Like sources said to him that it, they, yeah, they were scared. They were terrified. Like if he'd come back on the field and got hurt straight away, like how bad would that look to um, to everyone else? Like these these guys let him on get on the field again after that injury, like come on how many lawsuits and all that kind of stuff could come out of that so um yeah i i, I don't think washington necessarily did anything wrong i, I don't, certainly don't think smith did anything wrong i i think it's just kind of we're at a quiet patch in the off season and 
and there was flamed up. Yeah, I think I think that's kind of really all it was. So we know it's not Smith. Or it's more than likely very barring a major change in current circumstances. It's 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 not going to be Smith. Um, we know who the are the suitors that we've currently talked about in terms of you know who are more likely to be if Washington is going to address the, posi- the position with somebody not in the organization right now or not a member of the team. Um, two guys in particular, I think, whom you've profiled in both cases, um, Sam Darnold from a trade route. And then Marcus Mariota, either from a trade route or there is the potential scuttle that's Oakland, excuse me, Las Vegas, could potentially just outright cut him, right? Because um, yep. knowing that most teams aren't even going to pony up like a crap pick like or like a day three, like even late day three pick, they're just going to wait for him to cut because I think he's got like an 11 mil cap hit or something of that nature, right? Yeah, um, for sure. He's it's also um, gross. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the thing that stopped, like the 11 mil cap hit teams would probably be quite happy to take on 11 mil cap hit. It's the fact that there's escalators in it. that If he starts a certain percentage of the games, then suddenly that goes up to over 20. So um, at that point, you, you I, I guess there's possibly ways around that. Like you could, if, you, if you're if you're 0 and 6 after the first six games, you probably bench him and he doesn't play any more snaps and doesn't hit those escalators. But I don't know what the level of those escalators are. So um, yeah. I would guess it seems like most teams have been like, yeah, we, we see that. We're uh, just going to wait for you guys to cut him because we know you need the cap room. So um, that's what I think is going to happen there. We'll get back to Mariota in a second because your breakdown of him was rather interesting. But I want to talk about Sam Darnold. And it's funny because in my thoughts and my own analysis for whatever it's worth, um, I kind of did a little bit of a 180. I'm, I've always been one of those people where like, I love the quote unquote dumpster diving in the sense that if there's talent, go get it. Try to fix it. Try to squeeze every last drop out of what's available. And um, I've seen a lot of people say that, like, you know, Sam Darnold, for obvious reasons, Adam Gase is almost a quarterback killer, which is ironic given his reputation. But, like, yeah. you know, the Jets are, I will argue, the Jets are more dysfunctional organization than even we are. Um, you know, there's, they're as lacking in talent on offense as probably as much, if not even more so than we are. So it's like he was in a really, really shitty situation, probably even to put it nicely. And so there's a reclamation factor there that like, okay, you take him out. Everyone uses a Ryan Tannehill metaphor. I think that's overused to this point. I think Ryan Tannehill is more of an exception than the norm. Um, But there's also a lot of people, I think Chris Cooley among others who are like, look, there is some very noticeable scar tissue there that's already been built in with Darnold. And that's the type of thing that does not go away. Like when you ruin a young quarterback, that, tends to kind of just stay with him. Everyone remembers the I'm seeing ghosts comment that he had against New England X number of years ago. Um, All of those things being considered and layering in what you've seen from a film study, I guess the simple question to you is, do you see a reclamation, any salvage value, reclamation value in Sam Darnold? Especially if his price, as rumored, is a second round pick that Washington would have to give up to get it. Yeah, I I see some talent there. Um, And and there the big thing for me with Darnold is that he plays a lot of his best football in key situations. And I think when you look at quarterbacks and there are those guys that have that it factor, right? And, and, and when Darnold came out, (laughs) when, when Darnold came out, everyone, everyone kind of just said he's got that it factor about him. He, He has some issues here and there, but he has that it factor. And I think, when people think about the it factor, it's the big situations. It's third down, it's fourth quarter, it's two minute drives, um, all those key situations, red zone. 
Uh, and that's when he plays a lot of his best football um, and makes a lot of his best throws is in those situations. And that was evident when I watched him. And uh, a lot of third down plays where he didn't have much on, like that he didn't have a lot to help him. Uh, that There were some bad scheming things and there were some drop balls by receivers and, and the receivers running just poor routes, not getting open and, and all of that kind of stuff didn't help. Um, but he was able to make something work. He was able to go off script and, and whether it was run around and wait till someone gets open or whether it was run himself for first down or um, whether it was just move in the pocket and find a window to make a throw. He, he made some very, very impressive plays. Um, but to counter that, he also made some throws and there was at least one or two a game where you just go, what the hell are you doing? Um, and some of them were basic reads, like a lot of a couple of his interceptions um, were repetitive ones, where it was very similar reads, um, where it was either a, a smash concept or a corner flat, where you have a, a player working to the flat and a slot receiver running a corner wrap behind it. And the read is simple: it's you you read the outside corner, and if the corner jumps up to the flat route, you throw it in behind him to the corner. If the cornerback sinks back you throw it to the flat. It's, it doesn't get much simpler to that. And Darnold consistently made the wrong read on that. And consistently, uh, I think he, I think I saw at least three interceptions on that kind of concept, um, which like, I just don't understand how, how he doesn't know that read. But having said that, I, I still saw the talent. He's, he's 23. Um, a lot of quarterbacks are older than that coming out of college. Um, so like, he he's still very very young and he still has the the poise to make the plays in the big in the big um situations and uh he's he's mobile um and has the ability to go off script and create when perhaps others that we've seen in Washington haven't been able to um so there is still something there um and i think if the pick becomes cheap enough and you've exhausted your other options and like they did with Stafford, the Stafford doesn't come off the your Deshaun Watson's or Russell Wilson's or Derek Carr's aren't going to happen. Um, and you can't, you don't either love someone in the draft or if you do, they're going in the top three picks and you just can't trade up to get to them. Then someone like a Donald to me makes sense. You, you could take him on for a year or two. Then that gives you someone to say, Hey, we've got some talent here. We can, try to develop it in a new system and a new um, organization where it's not quite as dysfunctional and um, he's got a good defense and some resemblance of a running game um, and see how he does. And if he doesn't, we've not spent much on him and we can go draft our guy next year. Um, so I think there is something there, um, particularly if the price gets cheap enough. Um, he wouldn't necessarily be my first pick, but I, I wouldn't be angry with a Sam Darnold. You brought up the draft. I want to take one quick left turn that uh, just because something popped into my head. Um, so your, your most recent breakdown, if I'm not mistaken, was on Mac Jones, quarterback of Alabama. Um, yep. I've talked about a lot. My, my wife is an Alabama alumni, so we've watched um, quite a bit of Alabama <laughs> football in the house. Um, okay. It's nice because Alabama wins a lot more than Virginia Tech does. So, uh, it's, kind of fun. <laughs> it's, it's fun to watch that from that perspective and be, sure. a, band, be a bandwagon fan because, you know, it's on Sundays. We're not we're usually winning on the Washington side. Um, <laughs> Okay, but going back to Mac Jones, um, 
you just did a breakdown of him and then something popped up on my Twitter feed about uh, Mike Tannenbaum, who used to be the GM of the Dolphins and the Jets, among other teams. And yep. he posted, made some preposterous hot take comment that uh, Mac Jones is going to be a top eight pick and there's no way he'll get past Carolina. Was, he said eight was his floor. Was his floor, which I think is idiotic at best. Um, given I, I, you don't need to bash him, we'll happily do that for you. But um, given what you've seen from a film perspective, do you think that is a realistic or like viable projection for him? Uh, it, it, it would seem a bit rich from my perspective. Um, I, I can see NFL teams really liking him because he does a lot of the little details right. Um, he's accurate with the ball. He, he knows where to go. He, know, he understands the kind of NFL reads. Um, and he is good with little things like understanding when to throw a hot, when like protection schemes will say like, if you get two from this side, you're hot. If you get one from this side, you have to throw a hot and he will understand all of that, which um, takes uh, a lot of younger quarterbacks when they enter the league don't have that information. They, they just, all of the protection stuff is completely taken off their plate. And, um, and that's something that, he will already understand. So um, that gives him a kind of a head start over a lot of other people. And so I think a lot of teams will think he can give them an opportunity to be successful early in his career. Um, and to an extent he can, but my concern with him um, and, and what I wrote about today or what went up today is the time of recording um, was that, he reminds me a little bit, and I don't like doing player comparisons because I don't think it's fair to players, but the, the thing that kept popping into my head was uh, Jared Goff. And that might sound like an insult or it might sound like a compliment depending on your thoughts on Goff. Um, but with Goff, he was he had struggles in his first year and then McVay came in and McVay set the table for him. He gave him a good running game. He gave him an excellent scheme. Um, he managed to keep him ahead of the chains and keep him on script. And basically Goff was just a vessel for McVay to be like, yep, yeah, you throw the ball here. And if you can do that, then we'll get a first down. And Goff did that brilliantly. Um, and when Goff is allowed to completely stay on script and it just throw off play action and stay out of third down and, and all of that kind of thing, Goff makes some incredible throws. And Mac Jones does the exact same thing when Alabama run the ball extremely well. Um, they, they have some really nice play action concepts. They have receivers that will basically always get open. If, if teams play man coverage, Devonta Smith's always going to get open. Um, if teams play zone coverage, then they've got a million different zone coverage beaters and he just needs to understand, is it a two deep safety or is it one deep safety? Okay. It's too deep. I know where to go with the ball. I'm hitting this post to Smith over the top. And he did, and he did so fantastically. Um, and some of his throws were amazing throws, 30, 40 yards down the field on a rope um, and straight over their shoulder and fantastic. And if you can build that situation for him, then credit to you, go for it. And he's going to be just as good as Goff was for the first few years he was with McVay. The issue is that we've seen with Goff is that you can't always stay ahead of the chains. You can't always be... Um, completely on script and being able to throw 30 yard bombs off play action on first and second down every single time teams are going to bring pressure teams are going to 
win on defense. They're going to match up nicely with your receivers. They're going to play disguised coverages that you can't always read. Um, and sometimes you're going to have to create and go off script. And that is where Mac Jones struggles. And that's where Jared Goff struggled. And we've seen what the Rams thought of Goff in the fact that they were willing to give him up, uh, give up a first round pick to get him off their books. So it didn't sugarcoat it at all. No. So that's kind of how I feel with Mac Jones. Um, that I think he he's good enough on script that he will probably be worth a first round pick. Um, and you know, like I don't want to, keep harping on about golf like a Kirk Cousins comparison I know people hate as well but teams NFL teams tend to like that kind of player that they know can execute their scheme and can stay on script and they will trust that their offensive coordinator or their head coach whoever it is that's calling the plays will be able to script up a good enough game plan for that guy to win and through the regular season they might well do it once they get to the playoffs Again, as we saw with Goff and as we see with Cousins throughout his whole career, it tends to go the other way. So that's kind of where I stand with Goff, uh, with Mac Jones right now. Fair assessment. In order to, Mark, not to like ask for breakdowns for all these quarterbacks, because I feel like we could do this for hours. <laughs> yes. Because um, I, I have a lot of uh, thoughts in my head. You mentioned Derek Carr. Like Raj and I are very split on Derek Carr, but we can get into that at another time. Um, but you kept talking about with, with Mac, uh, Mac Jones being on script, right? Golf, you know, ahead of the change, et cetera. And I know Ron has talked about, and Scott has um, as well, the like they think any quarterback can really thrive in their system. Ron said that, I think, right towards the end of the season. Yep. Uh, but that being said, it's clear that after watching someone like Heineke play, that especially with left tackle being a top of your priority list, like things are going to break down. Nothing ever stays on script. It's the NFL. Yep. Um, and then we're linked to guys like Cam Newton, right? He is obviously, he was just on uh, a podcast with Brandon Marshall and he's talking about riverboat. Yep. Um, you know, you have Heineke and Allen, both of whom have that little, you know, wiggle in the pocket for lack of a better term. Uh, even, even cars, little mobile Mariota is mobile. You have these quarterbacks, and you know I don't know who you prefer, Darnold not being one of them. Um, who do you think – I'm not going to ask you, like, who do you think the week one starter is, but who do you think is the ideal fit for Turner's offense today? Because I view it as someone that can move, especially with all the eye candy we throw in with the motions. And one thing yeah. that we talked about a lot is that that's kind of where the NFL is going as a whole. Like, it's just that's it has it's almost become a mandatory thing where your quarterback has to be mobile. You can't have the, the proverbial Drew Bledsoe type of quarterback anymore. So, your thoughts? Yeah, that's that's kind of where I was going to go. I was, um, the the league is kind of shifting in that direction, um, and, and you see the guys that are mobile and able to go work off script and and create um, when plays break down. That is often where the biggest plays and the most explosive plays happen um like the i i did some work for the athletic last year covering the ravens offense and that offense was terrible like the run game was great but the passing game was horrible and the only reason they managed to get by was because lamar jackson was so good at avoiding pressure scrambling and then and and getting someone um like the play breaking down the receivers just being like okay scramble drill let's get open and that was the only way they created any kind of explosive play with with the passing game um and and you see it with russell wilson you see it with sean watson you see it with aaron Rodgers, um patrick mahomes obviously uh, all of these 
good quarterbacks in the league, bar Tom Brady, who's kind of the anomaly now. Um, they're I think all... he's an outlier. Exactly. Just all outliers. But his pocket movement is so superior that he can just get away with it. He's so good at getting the ball out in 2.2 seconds and just moving and maneuvering the pocket. It just doesn't really matter. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and like that is certainly a method of winning. And, and that would be your hope if you go for someone like Mac Jones is that you can, you know, keep dinking and dunking your way down the field. And to an extent, I, I think Scott Turner kind of likes that style. Um, when, when you go empty sets and you work matchups and you dink and dunk your way with matchups, that, that is essentially what the Tom Brady offense was when he had Gronk and Aaron Hernandez and Julian Edelman. It was those two tight end sets and, and Edelman um, moving inside and they would go to empty formations with running backs outside and the tight ends outside and it would get Edelman on a linebacker and they could easily win those matchups. Uh, and, and Scott Turner likes to do a lot of that as well. Um, so to an extent, a quarterback that can run that kind of thing, it would fit with Turner a lot. But um, what the, that mobility gives you is it just gives you a fullback option. Um, like, I, I, I don't want to kill Mac Jones, but when I've been watching Mac Jones, cause just because I've been watching Statue. him this week, he, he does struggle. Like, he moves okay in the pocket, but at the moment he feels pressure, he doesn't have anywhere to go. He instantly looks for a check down, um, will throw it away. Um, whereas, like, in that, that's fine in certain situations, but like, if it's third and 10 uh, or third and nine, and you're midway through the fourth quarter and the game's within a score, you want your quarterback to be able to be like, I'm taking over this game. I'm going to make something happen. And if the pressure arrives, I want to be able to scramble. Or if they go to a three-man rush, I want to be able to run around and let my receivers get open. Um, and, and that running threat as a quarterback just gives you a fullback option for if the, the script doesn't quite go to plan and, and sometimes it doesn't, sometimes the defense gets the right call or gets a good blitz or um, does something you don't expect. Um, you know, they're, they're good players and they get paid too. Um, then you have an option to fall back on and be like, Hey, I can, I can do something to avoid this pressure. I don't have to just sit here in the pocket and accept that I'm going to get sacked or have to throw it away. Um, and I, I, so yeah, I, I think having that mobility is, is a big part of today's offenses, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean a quarterback can get away with being inaccurate or get away with being a one read quarterback and, and all those kind of things. They still have to have those other aspects of the game. They just be able to be athletic and, and, and run a little bit too certainly helps. And, and I think that's certainly part of the package, I think with a, a quarterback in this system. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of, we can, you know, get into Heineke and what the starter next year will look like. But I think a lot of Heineke's success is, is exactly what you're talking about, right? Like he knew where all those reads were immediately. Yeah. Um, well, he's been in the system down, yes. Exactly. He's been in the system on and off for, what, six years? Yeah. Um, and as soon as things broke down, you know, I, part of me wonders if like, first off, we had the Saturday night playoff game. So after a couple of beers, he looked like Superman to me. Um, <laughs> The other I mean, part of me Russell wonders, Wilson at worst. Like he was Russell Wilson yeah. at worst. Yeah. <laughs> at worst. He's like the highest graded quarterback we've had in like 10 years or something. Yeah. Um, but on the other part of me wonders if, you know, yeah, the, all the grades came back really great on him, but like he's been hurt. He's t- he's tiny. Yep. Um, you know, I don't, 
think he's a starting quarterback in the NFL, personally. Uh, no. I think he's an awesome backup. But I think, you know, one of the reasons I think Washington football – I'm just calling the Redskins. I, I call them football team. One of the reasons the Redskins um, fan base fell in love with him, obviously, is because he's dueling Tom Brady. It's national television. You know, it's, it was a lot of fun. But I think we got so used to watching Alex Smith not be able to move that all of a sudden his mobility just, like, popped in the screen to all of us, and now we're kind of latched onto it. Yeah. So I'd be curious of your thoughts on what Heineke looks like. Cause like him, him and I alluded to this earlier. Like I think I view him as Scott's guy and I view Kyle as Ron's guy. And I'm assuming Kyle Allen will resign at some point. He's only, he's only like, like a million dollars or something. Yeah. Um, so you have those two, like, well, I would like to get your thoughts on just those two. And if you had to roll with those, which one would you, which one would you roll with? Yeah. Well, what I would I know, say. That's a hard question. <laughs> yeah. The um, f- to give Heineke his credit first, he was fantastic in that playoff game, and and watching it back uh, with the All Twenty Two, he was even better than I anticipated him being. Um, and you're right, the mobility certainly stood out, and and maybe it was because we were so used to watching Smith, but I, I think in his own right, it was very good. Um, and the knowing the offense and and understanding the reads within the offense. Um, and I think they surprised the Buccaneers defense a little bit. I think the Buccaneers defense didn't necessarily play all the most complex things that they certainly did. They, like, they, they weren't playing prevent, but they, they, we saw them get a lot better throughout the off, uh, throughout the playoffs because I think they anticipated, you know, tougher matchups further on than they did against a Heineke led Washington team. So um, that played into it a little bit as well, but he was phenomenal. I, I really can't fault him for how he played in that game. Um, my issue with Heineke is twofold. One, as you mentioned, the injuries. Um, like he, I, I still don't think he's managed to play a full NFL game without getting hurt. Um, Zero for three. Exactly. So, like, I know that. you you can't rely on that as a starting quarterback. You just can't. Um, and and secondly, it's not like Washington felt like he was going to do this. Um, like he, he wasn't, you know, someone they went out and signed back in March last year and, and had around as the backup or on the practice squad or what have you, like they had Steven Montez before him. It was just because they, they cut Haskins. Smith was a doubt. Carl Allen was already injured. they had exhausted all these other options. They just needed someone that knew the system. That was the only reason they brought him in in December. And, he happened to play one hell of a game when he had nothing to lose. Um, so uh, I would be very doubtful that he's able to replicate that performance over a period of time, A, due to injuries, B, due to just it was a one-off game where he had nothing to lose, whereas starting a season and playing 16 games, you're going to have teams that will get more film on you, start to understand how your strengths and weaknesses and throw different things at you. Um, so... Yeah, I, I, it was a phenomenal, phenomenal performance. And as I think I said at the time, it was the best quarterback performance I'd seen, certainly in five years in Washington, possibly longer. Um, so I don't want to fault him for that, but I just don't see him as a, a real prospect to start for them going forward as, as a long-term starter. Um, Kyle Allen, I'm kind of meh about. Like he, He's okay. Um, I, I think Scott Turner probably likes him quite a lot. Um, and Ron clearly likes him. Um, and 
he can execute the offense and he has the little bit of mobility to uh, escape the pocket and, and extend plays when he needs to. Um, and, and he does a lot of the little things, um, like I mentioned with Mac Jones. Um, he, he understands blitzes and um, when to throw hot and spotting blitzes coming and throwing over the blitzes to the vacated areas and, and that kind of thing. He does those little things quite well. Um, if he's another one that struggles with injuries uh, and I, I think his his ceiling is limited. I think his floor is kind of pretty high. I think he can be a pretty solid backup for a long time um, and give you some spot starts. I don't think he's someone that's ever going to be your long-term starter as quarterback. So to get you out of here on, uh, on this, thank you again for the time and the breakdowns because this has all been great. Um, one last guy we want to cover, which we alluded to earlier, and it's also on your sub stack, which we want to definitely plug, um, Marcus Mariota. And yep. we talked about the, we've talked about the mobility. Um, I think Mariota has followed a really interesting career path in the sense that we all know he was drafted by Tennessee, second overall. I think it's the 16 draft behind Jameis Woodston. Um, 15 or 16, can't remember one of those. Uh 15, there you go. So he was taken to that one, and um, you know, obviously it didn't work out in Tennessee. I think their entire organization was in flux. Then it goes to um, Las Vegas slash Oakland or whatever. I've always been a, fascinated by this idea that what if it, it's not possible in the world we live in, but like what if you could draft a guy at number two overall and literally sit him for two years like they did with Aaron Rodgers, recognizing he was like number 24, 25 in the draft when he was sure. taken, right? Like what, could, like what would happen if you did that? And I think – Marriott obviously didn't sit, but he's now gone to this point where he has the NFL experience underneath his legs, so to speak. And he, um, in the physical or maybe the mental can kind of catch up to the physical. Um, basically I'm curious to see if let's say Washington somehow acquired him, whatever methodology that is for a reasonable price, again, layering on the analysis that you you had, which was rather bullish on him. Um, how, how you think that would, how you think that would work? Yeah. I, I, I think with Mariota, he, I've always liked his skill set. I think the skill set is what you kind of focus on with him is that he can do a lot of things that obviously there's the mobility factor, but on a short to intermediate range, he, he can be fantastically accurate. Um, and not just, you know, he completes passes, but he puts the ball in perfect spots for the receiver to catch. Um, and he can anticipate, coverage and, and manipulate underneath defenders and and with his eyes and his shoulders and and throw and sort of look to his right and and get a zone defender in the middle a linebacker get him moving outside to throw behind him so the he does those things very very well um and and from a skill set standpoint he has pretty much the makings of a very very good quarterback um he does a lot of things very very well um, he just hasn't managed to put it all together consistently. Um, and part of that is down to the situation. Part of that is down to some, some scheme. Part of that is down to him not playing well all the time um, and making some bad decisions here and there. Um, so he's at fault, obviously. Um, but I think when when I went back and watched him, I still saw the raw skill set is there. Um, and... and there's so many things like if you were to build a quarterback um, that you would want a guy that we were kind of talking about it. You, you'd want the mobility factor. You'd want the accuracy. You'd want the intelligence to be able to read the defense. You'd want the ability to manipulate zone defenders and, and throw people open. 
Um, you'd want terrific ball placement. Uh, you'd want all of those different factors. And, and those are all things that Mariota does really well. Um, and so for me, that was what was appealing to, uh, to me about him was that he has a skill set that um, I think could work very well in this offense. Uh, he could add to the running game. Obviously, we, we know what we've seen from this year. Scott Turner likes to run out of the shotgun a lot. Uh, Mariota can certainly play in the shotgun. That's that's all he did in college. Um, and he could add to the running game with the ability to add the read option stuff and um, some of the RPOs and that kind of thing. Um, so he can add to that. But as a quarterback, um, he can he can operate out of the empty set. So that's what he did in college. Um, and we've gone back to that again and again. But it's something that Turner really likes to do, which is work out of different personnel groups force the defense into a certain personnel group and then spread them out create matchups by putting McLaurin in the slot getting him on a linebacker putting uh Antonio Gibson outside on a linebacker and letting him run down the sideline or um you know getting their best players into favorable matchups and letting the quarterback just see okay I've got that matchup I'll work it and hit it quickly and that is something Mariota can very much do it's something he did in college all the time and um for me that makes him a, a pretty good fit within this system um so for me i he would probably be the one out of the veteran quarterback options um that i would be looking to target um if i was washington and, and be it a trade or whether i you wait for him to be released and then aggressively pursue him at that point um whatever you whatever you fancy but that would be uh, for me I, I i'm intrigued by the skill set I, I think it meshes with what they like to do offensively and and so i i think at a cheap price that's what i would go for mark thank you so much for your time um want to be respectful of it uh awesome insight um do you want to plug your twitter handle and your sub stack for anyone who wants to subscribe and for anyone listening please make sure you do first of all follow him on twitter and any other platform that i've been missing and then definitely subscribe to his stuff because it's you'll get all the stuff we talked about plus some yeah, sure. So my uh, Twitter is at Mark Bullock NFL, um, and my Substack is just markbullock.substack.com. Um, and uh, there, there's plenty of free content on there. I've started putting stuff behind a paywall, but um, there will still be free stuff coming out. Um, and there's plenty. Of, there's about a month's worth of content that is all free on there. With, as you said, with the guys we talked about, Mariota, Darnold, and Mac Jones, and um, Matthew Stafford, if you want to go back to that, Hunter Henry, uh, Alan Robinson, Curtis Samuel, all those kind of guys we've we've talked about, um, they're they're all on there. So, um, yeah, the great review went and checked out and had a look. For sure. And then I'm going to just a final binary yes, no question, or I think, you know, one answer or the other black and white is the starting quarterback of the Washington football team in 2021, in your opinion, on the roster or not on the roster at this time. And that doesn't count like Kyle Allen not being signed, right? Like, <laughs> you know. uh, it's, it's not Kyle Allen or Taylor Heineke. It's The guy is not on the roster. Good to know. Thank you very much, Mark. Thank you. <laughs> much appreciated. Have a good evening on your end and um, look forward to talking soon. Yeah, no worries. Cheers. All right. Take care, man. Thank you for listening to the Hail to the District podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts.